back. It feels like with spring break and then Easter, it feels like we have missed you guys a ton, and so it's fun to have a, a consistent run to finish off the rest of the spring semester with you guys. All right, well, we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, so if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. And by faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Look at verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Uh, Lord God, we come before you and we just thank you for this incredible chapter. Uh, Maybe one of the most well-known, one of the most famous, not just in the book of Hebrews, but maybe even in the entirety of the New Testament. And as we look at these great men and women of our faith uh, that are heroes in our faith, Lord, I pray that you'd stretch us. I pray that you teach us from their example, Lord, that we would not be just passive observers as if we're walking through a museum seeing their faith. But I pray that it would be motivating. I pray that it would be instructive. I pray that you'd use their examples to propel us forward, to trust you in new ways, that you'd you'd stretch us and that you'd call us to faith in new and profound ways this morning, Lord. Father, we ask these things through your Son and by your Spirit we pray. Amen. Well, I'll tell you guys, I've learned over time that there are some great moments in life that are frankly defined by two seconds of courage. Uh, Two seconds of courage often can make or break some of the greatest moments in your life. Now, sometimes those moments and and those two seconds, there's a fine line between courage and utter insanity and foolishness. Often those kind of blend together. Well, one of those moments kind of blended together for me. It was uh, the summer after my uh, sophomore year in college. I was in Interlochen, Switzerland, and I here was doing something called canyoning, all right? So, it's probably the most freaked out I've ever been in my life, all right? As you kind of walk through this canyon in Interlock in Switzerland, literally there would be parts of this thing where you'd have to scale and, and rappel down a 20-foot open cliff face like this into a body of water below. There'd be other times where you wouldn't necessarily be rappelling, but you'd actually have to jump off the cliff. And so uh, we would have one guide who would go forward. He'd jump first to kind of show us where to land. And we'd have another guide in the back to make sure that all of us at some point did jump as well, right? And so they kind of would flank us and squeeze us and push us off the cliff at some point. Uh, but for the guide who went down first, it was one of these things for me that was absolutely terrifying. I'll tell you guys, I probably spent the entirety of the time shaking uncontrollably. I blamed it on the cold water, but it was just fear. I was terrified, all right? Because our guide would jump and he would get to the bottom and he would say, hey, here's what I want you to do. Looking up at us 20 feet above, he says, I'd like you to land here. Not here, but here, which of course, when you're 20 feet up, it's like, that looks like six inches of difference, right? And then he would kind of be yelling at us. He's like, also, when you land here, not here, but here, I want you to land in an Indian seating style, because if you land with your legs like a pencil, you'll break your legs. He goes, is that shallow, all right? And so I was like, are you, are you kidding me? This is absolutely insane. And so we would just jump and over and over again through this canyon, we would have these moments of utter, complete two seconds of courage and just jump. And then the rest of it was just a thrill ride, right? Once you actually had made that jumping moment. But some of us just want to kind of hang back in utter comfort and safety. It was one of those moments that I will forever remember. Uh, I I got back from Europe and told my mom and dad about it. And about two weeks later, my mom shows up with a newspaper clipping, in which case there was, and this is incredibly tragic and sad, but there was like a horrible rainstorm that came through in the same gorge that I was in. And my mom was like, "Is, is this what happened to you? Because there were 14 people who died in the same gorge that you were in apparently two weeks ago. And I was like yeah, that was me. And it doesn't look so courageous anymore. It looks a little bit foolish, all right? But it was still an entirely amount of, crazy amount of fun, all right? I'll tell you guys, some of the greatest moments in your life maybe have been marked by just two seconds of courage and just a leap. 
Sometimes you get in those moments like a canyon, though, where you get into one moment that requires another two seconds of courage for the next jump. But some of the greatest moments in life are like that. I'll tell you guys, as we jump into Hebrews 11 this morning, as we look at really the Christian faith, I'll tell you guys, I think it's a lot like canyoning in some ways. That there are elements of the Christian life that require you to have two seconds of courage and to trust God and to leap. And though at times it's difficult and risky, it is also incredibly exhilarating and exciting as we walk with the Lord. I'll tell you guys, in many ways, I'll tell you, I am an engineer by uh, trade. At least that's what I graduated with from A&M. I'm not necessarily using it anymore, but I love, the un- I love the scene. I love the predictable. I love to manage and minimize risk. Uh, for some of us, and some of you may be like me, that's kind of the way that you roll. Uh, you like to plan. You like to know what's predictable. You like to minimize risk. Well, the reality is the Christian life kind of flies in the face of that. And so if you're kind of that planner, if you're kind of that person who loves to know kind of what you're getting into, buckle up because Hebrews 11 is going to rock your world, all right? A lot of us are like that. And what Hebrews 11 is going to show us is really what is the nature of faith. What Hebrews 11 is going to be more than anything this morning for you and I is a call to faith. That Hebrews 11 is a call to faith, and it's going to show you and I what faith is, what faith requires of us, and what is the reward of faith. But again, for those of us that like to minimize risk, for those of us that like to know exactly what we're getting ourselves into, what Hebrews 11 will show us as we look at some of the heroes of our faith in the past, and as we feel that God calling us forward in the future, is that for many of us, it's going to rock our world, because what God often calls us to is not the scene. Because frankly, that is the very epitome of what faith is not. And so that's where Hebrews 11 is going to take us this morning. And really, what you're going to find as we jump into Hebrews 11 is that in this call of faith, that faith is going to define us. That if there's any characteristic of your spiritual life that will define you more than any other, it is going to be your willingness to walk by faith. That this whole spiritual life starts by faith and it continues by faith. And that if faith is the paint that is going to, in a sense, uh, be that which fills out our portrait and our life, then you and I need to understand really what is faith. And as you kind of jump into verse 1, faith really gets defined for us. Look at verse 1 again. The writer of Hebrews tells us, I think, one of the most beautiful descriptions of faith. This is what he says, verse 1. Here's the definition. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Uh, some of you guys, uh, if you, there's a verse that you want to memorize this week, if there's a verse that you want to memorize as you conclude a semester, it's this one. A beautiful description of faith. The faith is the assurance of things, so forth is the conviction of things not seen. Simply speaking, faith is a confidence that we have in what lies in the future, or even more generally, is faith and confidence that we have in what is unseen. In fact, that faith will portray not just looking forward in the future, but even looking backwards. Notice verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith we understand the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what was seen, what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that in terms of this exercise of faith, what faith asks us for is something that scales and spans all the way from creation to the consummation of all things in the future from eternity past to eternity in the future, that faith calls us to trust what you and I cannot see and what we cannot prove at times. In fact, it's really interesting, that word there, assurance, we often think of it as confidence. It's a really interesting word in the Greek. It is the Greek word hypostasis, uh, which, uh, what does that mean? It's interesting, it's the same word that the writer of Hebrews uses of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 3, when he said that Jesus was shared the same nature as God himself. That Jesus shared the same hypostasis as God the Father. What's the point of that? What is he trying to say? That if we were to define faith or assurance that it is the essential nature, it's the essence, it's the reality, it's the substructure of something. 
that if faith is pertaining to what is unseen, then faith itself is the substructure, it is the outline of what, one, what you and I cannot actually see. Let me try to illustrate that for you guys. Uh, you guys know that we have two different kids. Uh, we have Caroline and Colt. And uh, this past summer, we took them to a children's museum in Austin that's called The Thinkery. And in some of these children's museums, uh, it's as much fun for the adults as the kids. And so in some of these exhibits, I'll just be honest, I kind of get way too into it and completely lose track of my kids, which is not really great in a public place. But uh, there was this one exhibit in Austin that was called, uh, in the, in the, uh, what they call the thinkery, it's called the light lab, all right? And so you could walk into this area and they had all kinds of different kind of crazy things with lights. You could do lasers, you could do all kinds of different crazy stuff, glow-in-the-dark stuff. But they had this one exhibit where you could actually get in front of a light and you could have your shadow cast on the back of the wall, like this uh, girl's doing with a hula hoop. The cool or the crazy thing, though, what made this special was we've all seen shadows, but it had a machine that could actually capture the shadow and theoretically kind of freeze it for about five to ten seconds, all right? So you'd hear a beep go off. It would, in a sense, freeze your shadow, and then you could move away, and the shadow would stay, all right? So uh, I get Caroline up on my shoulders. We're doing all kinds of crazy stuff. We're doing, like, animals, like, you know, like, like anything we could do with shadows, and then we'd kind of back away, and we'd move away, and the shadow would just freeze in place. It was amazing. We're freaking out. I'm trying to take pictures of it with my phone. Nothing captured, all right, except for this picture I found online, all right? But we were just like minds blown, all right? Random girl. This isn't my girl with a hula hoop, but I loved it, all right? But it was mind-blowing kind of deal, all right? Because even as you backed away from the light, as you backed away from the wall, your shadow would hold in place. And in many ways, I think that is an amazing picture of what faith actually is. That if faith, for many people, as they look at other people's faith, that faith is, in a sense, an outline. It is a projection of an unseen reality. And even as Carolyn and I would back away from that wall, our shadow would hold in place as evidence, as an outline, a projection or a substructure for a reality that was now unseen. That's what faith is. That faith, one's proclamation, one's confidence in what one cannot see, for others is a projection of a reality that they don't know anything about. For you, if you know the person of Jesus Christ and if you have a relationship with him, as you think about what the Bible has recorded and as you think about your confidence in that, you believe in things that you cannot prove. You believe in the, the reality of a maker who created all that we see. You believe in a savior who gave his, only, uh, who gave his own life away so that we could be reconciled to him. You believe in a Savior who didn't just die once, uh, but he will return a second time to establish a kingdom of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So much of what we believe is about what is coming in the future and is about an unseen reality. And for many of those that are in your life, it is your faith that provides an outline of something that they don't know anything about or they can't see or prove. And for some, it is your faith in those unseen realities that provide them the only projection, the only outline of reality and truth that they may ever see. Which is why your faith doesn't just define truth, but it actually defines you as well. That as others are looking in, it is your faith that is not just going to be defined by Hebrews 11.1, 1, but it is your faith that will define you as well in front of them. It's really interesting. Notice verse 2. Notice what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 2. For by it, by this faith, men of old gained approval. That by faith, men of old gained approval. And what you're going to have happening in Hebrews 11 is this incredible uh, roll call of the great men and women of faith. And how because of that faith that they had that was great, they had incredible approval. And so here's the question I want to ask you guys as we look at some of these examples. The first is this. Whose approval will they gain? And when do they gain that approval? 
Whose approval do you notice that they gain, and when do they gain that approval? Notice the first example in verse 4. The writer of uh, Hebrews brings up, kind of moving chronologically through, the, through Genesis, he brings up the person of Abel. Notice verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he is righteous. God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel offers a sacrifice that was better than his brother's Cain, better than his brother Cain's sacrifice, and because of that, God was pleased with Abel. Right? If you know the story in Genesis, uh, those two come. Uh, uh, one offers a better sacrifice, and because of that better sacrifice, God recognizes Abel's faith and He praises Abel. And as Abel gets God's approval in that moment, what does his brother Cain do? rises up in anger and jealousy and strikes and he kills his brother. That in that moment, even as the writer of Hebrews is highlighting uh, Abel, what you and I see is that Abel's faith brought about the approval of God in a moment. And in that very instant moment, God's approval also brought about the disapproval of his peers. But though there was immediate disapproval of his peers, notice what the writer of Hebrews also says, that through his faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. And so we now we look back at Abel and go, man, incredible man of great faith who paid an incredible cost for his faith. And so he gets himself into the honor roll of men and women of faith in the Old Testament. Abel shows us that faith brings about the approval of God in the instant that we exercise it. And then when the instant that that approval of God comes, in the meantime, often it leads to the disapproval of man short-term, but the approval of man long-term. Let me give you guys another example that he brings up to us. Verse 5, notice Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. If you guys know the Old Testament story, Enoch uh, walks with God. He lives to be about 365 years old, and then he's taken up by God because of his faith. Uh, Because of his faith, did God recognize him and approve of him? Yes, which is why God took him. But in the moment that God takes him, a 365-year-old man goes missing, and what do you think the rest of his peers likely think? The text doesn't tell us exactly, so we're kind of reading between the lines, but what do you think typically would have happened for an old person who just went missing? For in our day and time, we get an amber missing alert that buzzes to our phone and interrupts whatever we're doing, right? There's just an assumption that they just wandered off, lost their mind, fell into a ditch or something, right? I I think for the the mass culture at the time, they didn't want to look at Enoch's disappearance and thought, God took him, right? He was so righteous that God didn't want him disgraced by the world any longer, so let's just take him out of here, right? I don't think anyone would have necessarily thought that. To make matters worse, what you're going to see happening in the rest of these examples is that uh, faith will define these men and women, but specifically, how will faith define them? Faith will define them specifically like this as crazy gamblers. I want you guys to notice the next couple of examples that come because the examples are extreme. They're examples that are incredibly familiar, but notice what you learn about faith from these. Verse 7, the writer of Hebrews brings up Noah, and notice how Noah gets characterized. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. As the rest of people looked at Noah, what did they think of Noah? They thought he was crazy, right? They thought he was absolutely out of his mind. God had spoken to him. God had revealed an unseen future reality that was coming. Noah believed it. Therefore, Noah obeyed and built an ark. But the rest of the world looked on and thought the dude was a lunatic. And to kind of illustrate it for you guys, I thought about, could have shown you guys a clip from uh, the newest Russell Crowe movie with Noah, but I thought there's even a more theologically appropriate one, which is a classic Evan Almighty. So here you go, all right? A little picture of what it might have been like. 
What are you doing? Do we have anything unleavened? Yeah, we do. It's in the back next to the frankincense and myrrh. We have a fancy name for it in this century. It's called pita. Got it. Evan, what is happening to you? Don't, no. Just put it down. Look at you. The hair, it, are you on something? Is it a, a mega growth hormone? What? Evan, talk to me. I'm building an ark. What does that mean? God appeared to me and told me to build an ark. He said there was going to be a flood and that I should be prepared. Whenever I shave, my beard grows right back out. My hair grows longer every day. This robe, God sent me the robe. I thought it would be funny. I actually think it's really comfortable. That's why I'm wearing it. The beard, the robe, you're Noah. So if you guys know that movie, I just think I think it gives you guys a great great picture of what it must have been like for those that were around Noah at the time. Uh, if you if you uh, had seen the chance to watch the newest Noah movie, which I hadn't seen, there's a scene where uh, a whole bunch of troops come up and there's incredible opposition against Noah as he has this element of faith in the midst of what God is communicating that he's going to do in the future. That really for you and I, as we walk by faith, what we see over and over again from some of these examples is that though our faith brings about the approval of God, it also subsequently and coincidentally also often brings about the disapproval of man. That just as our faith brings about the approval of God in the meantime, in the short term, and often at the same time brings about the disapproval of man. Man's approval comes down the road and it comes later. So we now look at Noah and we go, incredible, incredible faith. (laughs) Maybe a little crazy off his uh, rocker at times, right? But incredible faith. But for those that were his peers in his contemporary day and time, everyone would have gone, man, this guy is crazy. Incredible criticism, incredible mockery, incredible rebuke, right? Uh, If it's not just uh, Noah, then it's also Abraham. Look at Abraham's example in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. The Genesis narrative tells us that God shows up actually twice to Abraham and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country, and I want you just to move out. Don't worry about where you're going to go. I'll reveal that to you later, but I want you just to get up, and I want you to go. (laughs) What What must that have been like for Abraham? A God who he doesn't know, showing up, communicating to him in a way that would have been surprising to tell him to leave everything that is familiar, everything that is known, and to go out to a place that God is yet to reveal with no sense of the plan, no sense of the timing, no sense of the map, right? Uh, This weekend, we were going to go over to some friend's house that we've been to multiple times. Multiple times, we've kind of gotten confused and turned around. And so before we would even move in that direction of their house, I made Marcy, who was kind of going uh, pilot, co-pilot with me, plug it into our GPS. I didn't want to even want to leave the parking lot of where we were first leaving to go to their house until I knew exactly where we were going to a friend's house that we'd been to before, right? Some of us are just like that, right? God calls Abraham to a place that he doesn't even know where he's going to go. Most of us want it plotted out on GPS and want a five-year plan for our lives. And God often doesn't do that for Abraham And he doesn't do it for you and I. To make matters worse for Abraham, God reveals him a set of promises, and one of which being that you're going to have as many descendants as the stars are in the sky. And in fact, in order to see Abraham's faith in that, God calls Abram to change his name to Abraham, which Abram, his original name meant my father is great, which we should have named our own children. Would have been great. My father is great, right? But instead, God says, what I want you to do is I want you to change your name to Abraham, which actually meant 
a father of a multitude. The irony is that name highlighted Abraham's belief in God's promise, but God asked him to change his name before the children came along. So imagine being Abraham, moving to a foreign country, having to introduce yourself as, hey, my name, I'm a father father of a multitude, and then everyone going, like, where are the kids? Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? And yet Abraham had to do that over and over and over again as a sign of his own faith in God's promise. But in that promise and in that faith, God was pleased with him, but everyone else thought he was crazy, right? Absolutely crazy. Uh, it would have been a little bit like me in junior high with 3D acne everywhere, walking up to girls in junior high across the locker room and going, hey, uh, hi, my name is Man of Perfect Complexion, right? Like it just, uh, God revealed to me one day he would clear it up, but I'm just going to kind of go with that. He asked me to change my name and just, you know, everyone would have been like, what? Like, you're kind of crazy, right? Well, I think that's what would have happened for Abraham, right? Man of a multitude. I, where are the kids? Are you crazy? How old are you? Do you have any idea how this works physiologically, right? I think you're past that point, all right? Biological clock is shut down. You have no hope at this, all right? And yet God calls Abraham to trust him into the unseen, into the unrealistic, because God is possible. God is able. And in that moment, everyone else would have shaken their head and thought, what in the world? This guy is crazy. The other thing I love about this is in verse 9, it says, By faith Abram lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. But not only that, but then God calls Abraham to, with his family to move, and they land in a foreign land where they are outsiders, they are foreigners, and God has promised that one day this land will be theirs. Having lived as a foreigner for a couple of years in a foreign country, it is an incredibly ostracizing, awkward, you feel like you're a zoo animal and everyone's staring at you kind of experience, all right? Abraham's got that. Abraham's only got that, but he's also got a belief that one day the foreign land that he's in, he's going to own and he's going to run and he's going to rule, which also would probably put him at odds with the people and the culture at the time, right? Abraham's got all kinds of issues, all right? And as you kind of look at all of these examples, if there's a couple things that draw out for you, what do we do with this? Well, we kind of get a catalog list of men and women of great faith. I told you guys already that I think in many ways we treat this as if it's a museum. That we kind of walk along a hallway looking up at their pictures and we go, man, that's amazing. I can never do that, right? They believe God for great things. What would I have to do one day to have a faith like that? I don't know if I want to have to go through what they had to go through to have that faith, right? I don't want to deal with the lack of people's approval of me. I don't want to deal with having to walk in life in light of what is unseen, trusting God and leaping out into a great unknown at times. I think if there's a couple things that we can draw out of some of these examples, it's this, that there are two clear pitfalls I think that you and I typically face in order to have great faith. A couple of things that these men and women didn't fall into, and because they didn't fall into it, they had incredible faith. And here's the two pitfalls. One is the need for the approval of man. The need for the approval of man. As you look at their example over and over and over again, for them to trust God, it led to his approval of them, but it also led to their complete rejection by their culture and by their peers. That every single time, every single one of these examples, as they exhibited and walked with great faith, the rest of their culture, the rest of their friends, the rest of their community said, what? Backed away in criticism, in opposition, or in mockery. And I think for you and I, we are often a people who are desperate for the approval of man. I know I am. I was thinking about even just talking with our band this morning. Uh, this summer I spoke at a, um, a youth camp for junior high and high school kids. I have never been more terrified in my life. And I was like, why, why am I so concerned what some 13-year-old thinks of me? I'm like, 
triple their age. You know, I was like, what is the deal here, right? What is it in me that no matter where I am, no matter how far I've walked with the Lord, that I just still need to be liked and I still want the approval of man? And what God says over and over again to you and I as we look at these men and women's examples is that for you and I to have great faith, we're going to have to let go of the approval of man. There's no way to walk down a corridor and to find yourself in a place of having incredible faith because if you have that faith, I will promise you, you will face rejection. And so if you're unwilling to let go of the need for the approval of man, don't expect that you're going to trust God for great things. That is kryptonite to faith. And here's the second thing that's kryptonite to faith. Here's the second pitfall that a lot of us fall into, and it's the need to see and control life. For those of us who are engineers types or planner types uh, that like to know the next few steps and want a five-year plan, that's just not how faith works. That's not what it looks like to walk with God. And if you need to have control, if you need to minimize risk, if you need to know what you're stepping towards and what you're stepping into, faith is going to move you in the opposite direction. Faith is going to call you to step into the unseen. Faith is going to cause you to risk what you cannot guarantee and what you cannot plan for. Faith always moves you into the unseen because it is by definition confidence in the unseen, right? And if you need to see, and if you need to control, and if you need to know, that's not faith. That's contrary to faith. Faith is the trust and the assurance and the confidence of a guide who leads before you, who has you taken care of, that he will provide, that he is true, and that he is good. That guide does not show you a five-year plan often. He shows you enough just for the next step, enough for the next two seconds of courage. And so what does that look like for you guys? Uh, For some of you, it may be as you think about your own relationships, maybe you're in a relationship where you know uh, there's a person in your life who doesn't know Jesus Christ and you've built an incredible friendship and you know it's time to kind of maneuver, you know, kind of transition conversation topics to talk about your faith. And for some of you, you're afraid of what they're going to think. You're afraid of what they're going to say. You're afraid of how it's going to change the relationship. Again, it's the need for the approval of man. But sometimes short circuits our own faith and our willingness to trust God to step into conversations that we know he's been calling us into. For some of you, you may be in a relationship right now that is seen and that has its obstacles and that you know is not healthy. And you know God has something better for you. The reality is to trust him, to step away from that, means you have to step into something that is unseen and unknown, and it's terrifying. Sometimes we'd rather know what is bad that is just mediocre than have to trust God for something that's even better when we can't see it at all. Maybe a relationship, it may be a situation. For some of you guys, you're applying for things, you're looking at opportunities, you're interviewing. For some of you, you're looking at graduation, you're wondering what's on the other side of this great college thing, and you don't know, and God hasn't laid things out just yet. And so you minimize risk, you don't want to get disappointed, you don't know how to maneuver or walk through that. And let me assure you take a risk, step forward. Take two seconds of courage and trust God that even if you step into something and it's not what he intends, it's still going to be good and he's still going to use it to get you where he has you to be. Don't worry about risk. Don't worry about controlling life. Let God call you and lead you and follow him even when you cannot see it and even when you don't know where it's going. He doesn't provide GPS and he doesn't provide five-year plans. What he does provide is enough for you to trust him in the moment for the next two seconds of courage that it may take. What I love most about this passage, though, uh, because for me, I go, I am a planner. (laughs) I am not a risk taker. I like to operate in the seen and the known and the the probable and the realistic. 
Uh, my wife is incredible, helpful in stretching me along, along these lines and calling me to have vision and calling me to have great faith. And you may have people in your life that do that as well for you. But what I love is where this passage ends and who gets included in this list. Notice verse 11. We get Noah, we get Abraham. Then notice who shows up in our list. Verse 11. By faith even, Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. I don't know about you, but there are often times where I feel like God calls me to something and I was like, eh, I'm just going to kind of hem and haw and drag my feet or uh, I'm going to kind of scoff at what I think he might be able to do or what I think he's calling me to do. If you've had those moments, then you have a moment that Sarah can recognize as well because when God came to Abraham and Abraham came to Sarah and revealed that they were going to have a child through her physiological body, not through a household slave, what did she do in chapter 18 of the book of Genesis? She laughed. She laughed in the face of God. She laughed in the face of Abraham and said, there's no way. And yet here is a writer of Hebrews in verse 11 bringing her into the list, right? What I love about what he does is because he adds one little word here that I think is so huge. Notice verse 4, by faith Abel, all right? By, verse 5, by faith Enoch. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. Verse 11 gets one other additional word. Notice it says, by faith even Sarah, right? But Sarah is an outlier. Sarah is an anomaly. Sarah is the last person that you would have put in the great hall of faith in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. It's like, did, did, did they not read Genesis 18? <laughs> did, they, did they not have the Old Testament? Because something seems a little bit off because you look at the Genesis narrative, she laughs in God's face. She doesn't trust God in the face of the unseen. She doesn't trust God. She doesn't want to be laughed at. She laughs at God instead. How in the world can she get described here in Hebrews 11 as a woman of great faith? What happened here? If I were to kind of, as you look at commentaries, my sense of what's happening here is that there seems to be a bit of either revisionist history or Sarah gets graded on a curve, all right? Why? I think as the writer of Hebrews looks back and as God looks back at our lives, I think he judges us not on the moment itself, but on how we arrive by the end of our lives. I think Sarah in that moment failed that test miserably, <laughs> absolutely miserably. But by the end of her life, as, a, uh, as the writer of Hebrews looks back on these individuals, the element that characterized her faith by the end of her life was one of faith. That that moment, that failure did not define her for the rest of her life. Nor does it for God as he looks at our lives. I've had plenty of moments where I just... I often laugh moment after moment where I doubt God and I see God do things beyond whatever I could have imagined. And little bit by surely, even in the midst of my limitations and my disappointments, my faith grows more and more and more. And I think what the writer of Hebrews is doing here for Sarah is, is reminding her and reminding us that we are not graded ultimately in the midst of our failures. We will be graded in the course of our lives by where we end in our faith journey. So if you're here this morning, you go, you know, in terms of uh, need for approval, <laughs> yeah, I need man's approval. Or the need for control and seeing life and knowing what's right around the corner, yeah, that's me. I need that. Welcome to <laughs> the boat with the rest of us, right? So many of us operate that way. So many of the examples that are here of Noah and Abraham, I go, I don't know that I have that kind of faith. I can identify with Sarah, <laughs> laughing at times in face of what God thinks he's going to do or what he tells me or what he leads me to do. And I go, I don't think so. I don't think you're that big. I don't think you're really ultimately that able. 
And yet, in the aftermath, even of those failures, I see God doing something in my life, and I think I see him doing something at times in your lives where your faith is growing, even in the midst of disappointments, even in the midst of failures, even in the midst of the places and the times where you didn't measure up. God continues to patiently grow and mature you. Faith is something that is like a muscle that can grow in time. And as the writer of Hebrews looks back at these men and women, even Abraham, God, Abraham was a mixed bag, right? He sold his wife out to a king because he didn't want to get killed uh, because she was beautiful. He sells her out twice. That probably led to problems in the home and in the marriage, right? And yet God looks back, and the writer of Hebrews looks back at Abraham and says, by faith, Abraham, boom, right? Abraham's faith was maturing through those different experiences as God walked with him, as is your faith maturing as you are willingly walking with God. Don't worry about where you are now. Continue to submit yourself to the Lord. Continue to walk with him in faith, trusting that he can grow your faith, that you don't need to measure up to these great men and women yet, that you're early in the race, and that what God is doing is he's calling you forward as these men and women are incredible examples to us, not just in their successes, but in their failures. In the midst of some of those moments where they needed two seconds of courage and they didn't have it, but other moments came on later and they did have it. And God continued to use them and mature them and grow them so that by the end of their life, as God looks back at their life, what he sees is a man and woman characterized by faith. And for me, that's my hope for you guys. That's our prayer for you guys. Not just what we see of you guys in college, but even as you guys exit and as you leave and as you graduate and as you go on, our hope for you is how your faith continues to mature for a lifetime. Because it's by that prism, it's by that grid that we get evaluated to eventually stand before Jesus Christ. What we're going to do this morning is give you guys an opportunity uh, to jump in and support some people who have had two seconds of courage, all right? Uh, we have this summer about 60 different students who are going to go overseas and, and get to take the gospel to some cultures and some places where the gospel and the church is not established, all right? And for some of these 60 students, it was about two seconds of courage for them to start the application. It was another two seconds of courage to actually have a conversation with mom and dad. Uh, and then they finally got in in an interview, and then they realized <laughs> now they got to raise support which is another multiple two seconds of courage to pick up a phone and make a phone call or to send a letter. And so one of the things that we want to do is come alongside these students as a church and as a college ministry and as a service here on a Sunday morning, and we want to help support them, all right? And so some of you guys have heard about work projects. We had a lot of work projects that happened just yesterday where families had students like you guys coming over to their house, uh, and you guys volunteered your time. These families volunteered their money to support college missions. And so one of the things we're going to do this morning is actually have a lunch after the service. And so we would love for you guys to stay. Uh, it is going to be, by design, a very simple lunch. We're going to serve you guys peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, which we have made. Our, our, our staff was up here at 9 this morning making hundreds of sandwiches for you guys, all right? So uh, we would love for you guys to stay. And what we're going to do as tables, after you guys have discussion time, we're going to serve the sandwiches to you guys. We're going to have drinks in the back. Your table hosts have brought sides for you guys. And so we would love to have just a, another Sunday morning to have lunch together. Uh, so if you guys don't have plans, if you guys can stay, we'd love to have you guys stay. We'd love to serve you guys. We'd love to feed you guys. And then as you guys feel led, as you guys feel able, we'd love for you guys to just simply consider potentially giving to college missions, all right? And the way that you can do that here with us this morning is simple. Uh, here's a slide for you uh, that has kind of a web link. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this at your table. But basically, we're going to serve you guys lunch. And uh, if you have money or you have checks and you want to give toward college missions, you can simply write them out to Grace Bible. There's a brown uh, little uh, box in the back. Or if you don't have checks or cash because you're a college student, you don't carry either. 
which we often find, right? And you want to give online, you can kind of go to that webpage and it'll take you and fill in some basic uh, details in a form so that you guys can give by credit card on a one-time basis. And so whatever we give this morning, we're going to collect towards and give towards college missions. So uh, if you kind of go to that web link, it'll fill in some pieces on a form that I kind of tell you to one of the Southwood campus that's going to Legacy Fund. Ignore that. What we're doing for this morning really is going toward college missions. And so what we want to do is just give you guys an opportunity to participate in that. Uh, to celebrate with and participate with some people who have had multiple two seconds of courage in this different arena and this different opportunity. And we want to come alongside of them and celebrate with them and support them and participate with them in it. Uh, Maybe for you, as you kind of pull back this morning, I'd, I'd love for you guys just to be thinking even this afternoon, where is it God is calling me to exercise great faith? What is the issue? What is the opportunity? What is the thing that I cannot see, but I know he's calling me towards? What is the area that I sense he's wanting to stretch my faith in? What is that area? What is that thing? And specifically, how does the need for man's approval and how does the need to see and control the future often short-circuit that faith in our response to his call? Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord God, I thank you for your incredible grace with us. Uh, that not only would you give your only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins, But even in the midst of the places and the things that you call us to and the ways that you call us to trust you and that we fall short time and time again, Lord, I thank you that you are so incredibly patient with us. Uh, Not looking just at the moment, but looking at the entirety of our lives, shaping us slowly but surely to more and more reflect your image, more and more have a faith that is a muscle that is flexed, that is exercised, and that is grown. And Lord, what I pray for our group this morning, what I pray for each one of us is that you would, in the midst of the different particulars of our lives, Lord, I pray that you would purposely put us in areas that we have to trust you. I pray this week, Lord, that you would pull the the mat out from under us at times. In the midst of the seeming sense of control that we have in our lives, I pray that you'd remove that. That you remind us that we're not in control and that we have to walk by faith. There is no other way that you are in control and that you're good, and that you're able to protect us, that you're able to care for us, and that you're able to provide for us. Father, I pray for some of us in the midst of decisions that we're looking at or different situations that we're looking at. Lord, sometimes we need just two seconds of courage to trust you and to take a step. And I pray that you would enable that today for us, that you'd enable that this week for us, that we could trust you in a fresh way, to step into the unknown, to step into the unseen, knowing that you're good and knowing that you'll catch us that you have us. Lord, we ask for these things this morning through your Son and by your Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, the rest of the morning is y'all is at tables. We're going to get to continue conversation over lunch. And so at some point around 12.15, 12.20, we will uh, start to serve sandwiches to you guys and your table hosts have snacks as well for you guys. And so we'll pick that up around 12.15-ish as well, Lord. Uh, we love you guys.